If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey friends, welcome back. This is In The Details and I'm your host, Karen Allen. You already know because you've probably been here before. And so again, welcome back. Happy to have you here. Quick question. Have you ever heard someone say, life is tough, but so are you? I'm sure you have at some point. (laughs) This empowering statement, let me tell you, it should not be taken lightly because it is so very true. As humans, we have incredible internal strength available to us if only we choose to tap into it. And that quote could not be more true about today's guest, Bill Murray. In his book, Thriving in the Storm, Bill shares his story, which you're going to hear shortly, along with nine key principles and 21 mental exercises that can help us move forward when adversity hits. And you know, I am all about practical strategies because honestly, with the right tools, I truly believe that anyone can overcome anything. So Bill, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I can't wait to uh, get started with you. Yes. Well, first I love, and I do mean love the title of your book, Thriving in the Storm. What was the inspiration behind that? How did you land on that title? Well, you started with your intro, you know, about being tough and, you know, it's just so many people, we just saw ourselves short because we're so, we're capable of so much more than, than we give ourselves credit for, allow ourselves to participate in. And we back out out of fear a lot of times because we don't think we're, we're able to complete or start a task. And so that was the premise of it. You're capable of way more than you think you are. And anything, anything is possible to push those boundaries to another level. And then the other, the other premise was it is, is about mindset and three choices. Victim mindset, adversity hits, strikes, you're in the storm. You don't want to continue to, uh, to press on and just calling it quits or giving up for, for the day or the week or whatever it is and just laying low, pulling the covers over your head, hitting that snooze button and just not not getting through anything. So that's kind of the, we call that the, the, the victim mindset. And then the survival mindset is you may coast and get out of bed after a few uh, snooze attempts and just you're, you're zombie-like, you're on autopilot, you're coasting. And when people say, how are you? You say, I'm surviving, I'm surviving. You know, the way, I, the way I would look at that is we still have to go through our day, no matter what the adversity is, no matter what challenges we have. And why not take that to another level in the thriving mindset? And when we get into that, it's, you know, let's be optimal. Yes, yeah, stuff happens. It doesn't feel good, but we still, we have to show up to work for eight, 10 hours, whatever it is. Why not give it our best? instead of maybe hide under our desk or coast through the day, even when you don't feel like it. And so that's kind of the thriving mindset. So those, those principles, number one, you're capable of way more than you think you are. And then the three mindset levels that we get into, uh, victim, survivor, and uh, thriving. Man, when you said that, I, <laughs> when I lost my husband, I'm like, oh yeah, I hit all of those, right? <laughs> like initially, of course it was a victim mindset because, well, our family was a victim of a heinous wow. crime. So that that's very natural. And, it, and especially if something happens to you, dear listener, please know that that is a very natural response. But what I'm hearing you say is from that response, are you then cowering or are you then owning a, a healthier response? And interestingly enough, it's that that middle one that I got stuck in because I was on autopilot and I was, wasn't looking 
for the opportunities to grow from this or how is this going to be it really was okay i have to get up i have to you know go through the day and and i remember my therapist at the time when we were kind of looking back on on that chapter of my life she was like honestly karen it was like you were the walking dead like you were just you know your eyes were hollow you were trying but like you felt like you couldn't and and she reminded me that my son was my North star. He was the one that pulled me into that thriving mindset. So I appreciate you giving those different levels and those different stages. And hopefully our listeners know that don't feel bad about the one you're in, just no. be aware of it and then choose which one you want to live from. Yeah. And, and, and of course there's a grieving process in anything you go through. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to skip over that. And, and in your situation, I mean, that's that's as, as tragic as as you can have in life, right? Losing losing a loved one or a significant other, of course, and you have to process that. And so you're processing, and then you're aware, and then you're moving on to the next level. So I don't want to I don't want to go through the don't gloss over or pass over the the grieving stages because that's necessary. You have to feel those feelings. Yeah, you have to process those feelings, of course. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And not to compare pain. I know that what I went through was absolutely crazy and traumatic, but you have had your own storms. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to this awareness of, okay, we're going to deal with adversity, but it's my response to those adversities that's actually going to shape the quality of, of my life. How did you come to that? Yeah. So I, I'm a big, I journal big time and it, and so just journaling over the years, I, I, I was writing a lot of, a lot of my feelings and, and I look back on my journals and I realized, you know, all the way from a childhood when I had it pretty rough growing up, you know, it was pretty abusive, toxic environment. And it, as much as it, as a kid, I, I felt like I was in competition. If I play, and this is where the victim mentality came from. If, if I cowered or laid down and, and and let you know that situation or, or my father take control of everything, then he's going to win. So in in spite of him, I would, as a kid, get the heck out of the house as fast as I could, whether it was paper routes or all my sports, baseball, football, pond hockey. I'd go cut the neighbor's lawn or the, or shovel snow where, where we're in the Northeast. So it gets... So there was always, I was always trying to just get through my pain so I could, and didn't know it, that, that I was thriving, uh, so to speak, in spite, because I was always shamed. I was always made to feel less than, um, than I was, and I was never good enough or nothing I did was ever good enough. So that's why I just made it a choice. It was, the motivation was from a darker place, but it was necessary to get me there. And sometimes those motivations can be of a, a pain place. Yes, absolutely. And first of all, I'm sorry that you went through that as a child. My heart breaks for any children who are feeling the weight of this chaotic and harsh world at such an early age. Like that just, it, it absolutely breaks my heart. And I'm curious when you were younger, 
Did you start to have that awareness of building these coping skills or did you just feel like, no, I'm not, I'm literally just in survival mode trying to get out of this abusive situation. Or did you see the, the, the difference? I'm just wondering how, as a child, you were able to wrap your mind around what was going on and how you were choosing to respond to it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Even as a, as a kid, you don't, you don't feel like a victim. You don't feel like you're in survival mode. You're just, you, but you are. You're just trying to, trying to, I was trying to perform at a high level in what I did because I wanted to show him and that, and again, that was my, that was my motivation. You know, it's a lot of people motivated by the reward. I was motivated by getting away from the pain. Yeah. Even though I chalked it up as a normal, a childhood And, and what, what I, what I think I did in retrospect is. I never really, I never felt bad for myself. I just was happy for my friends who had it great or mm-hmm. appeared to be great. And I would just hang out with them more. Oh, and so, yeah. so I look at it as I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to my friend's house and hanging out with them because they're accepting that they're, you know, they, they take us in, you know, all my friends' dads were either a coach or, you know, they were involved in the community or some, some, uh, in some way. So that was, that was nice to have that. So, you know, that's kind of how, how that was the thought process as a kid. Yeah. And you said you started journaling. How old were you when you started journaling? I didn't probably, well, so I probably my thirties, I'm, I'm 50 now. So I was, I've been journaling for, for a long time. I'm just curious if that was part of your healing process. Like as you were journaling, you were able to then reflect on the things that you went through as a child, teenager, and maybe even in your twenties. Yes. So it was, I probably didn't start listening to personal development and and understanding personal development until in in my mid twenties, I took psychology and got a master's degree in counseling psych. So I could understand, you know, why it was, why my, my own situation was so screwed up. And I actually was fascinated by human behavior and what profiles were like and what made people tick. And so that was kind of the, the start of it all and understanding, you know, what was really, what was really happening. And I always, I always wanted to be opposite. Right. So I was a goal. And again, this is away from, and not running to the reward. This was getting away from the pain. And I think you should have two types of motivations. I think you should have getting away from the pain is number one. And the second motivation is getting to, you know, that higher level, that, that bliss place. So you can have, you know, you're where you want to go to because it's lovely and it's beautiful and it's euphoric. And that's, that's where you want to go in life. And then you also need to put aside what you want to get away from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's, that's where that started, you know, way back and trying to understand, you know, why people do what people do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I didn't realize as much as I wanted the opposite is I carried even in, even until a few short years ago, a lot of angst, a lot mm-hmm. of anxiety. I never, ever said that it was a tough childhood. I never, ever said anything. I held it. I held it all in. I, su- I suppressed it for all these years. And, and it wasn't until, you know, I, I got some serious, serious intensive work done and to uncover and unpack that and what, what I realized was all that abuse and shaming when I would tell the stories. And again, we kept everything very close and I was very private. So this Mm -hmm. is, 
this is new for me right now. This is new area, new territory. But I think it's important for people to to talk about um, mental health. And so all that all that shaming and everything. When I tell the story about you know some of the horrific beatdowns or whatever, as I'm telling the story about that little kid, seven or eight years old, I I had no empathy. I didn't feel bad for that kid, which was me. And so what I had to realize and learn was to to have self-love and compassion for that little kid. Now, Karen, if you if you told me a story about your son going through some some horrific childhood experiences, you know, I would be near tears. But when I told it about myself, I would be matter of fact. Mm. Sounds like that was like a level of protection. Yeah. Like connecting to, I, I, because I'm very much the same way where, I mean, a commercial can make me cry, Bill. Like I am, <laughs> I am, I'm super emotional. Yeah. And then a lot of times though, in telling my story, I'll still get emotional, but I almost protect myself from going too far there because it is me and it is yeah. my story. And I, I realize I'm like, oh, because if I don't protect myself, then I'm opening the wound back up or I'm, I'm. I don't know. It's a strange dynamic. I hear what you're saying, where when you're talking about yourself, it's almost creating space a little bit from it. Is that how you yeah. feel too? Yeah. But again, I didn't think I had a bad too either growing up. What I would mm. say have a bad, but apparently it was pretty rough. And the reason that I'm talking about it now, and I and I never did. And we I grew up in a tough you know, a tougher city, Worcester, Massachusetts, which is, you know, it's the second largest city in New England. Not a lot of people, not a lot of people know that. And we, you just don't talk about things. Men and boys don't talk about things. They don't share their feelings. They don't, there's no crying. Oh, you cry. You're going to, you're going to pay the price. You know, like there's, there's no depression is that you can admit to. There's, there's none of this stuff. This is how we grew up. Right. So now that I, I wrote the book and talked about it, my boys, my friends, these guys that, you know, you'd want to have in that foxhole with you, like tough dudes, be like, man, I had no idea. I knew your dad was mm. tough, but like, I had no idea. And I'm like, I'm so glad you you shared that. I had no idea. Like, like, you know, it's just like, wow, I didn't expect that from you. Like you're, you're one of my toughest friends and I never expected. So, so I'm having these conversations with some really incredible people that I have so much respect and admiration for. And I consider them incredibly tough, tough people. But, but so now here's here's the next the next step, right? And I'm gonna go here. We look at uh, suicide, right? And suicide was up 30 percent from 2000 to 2020. It kind of caught down during COVID. It went back up another three percent. 47 like 47 thousand deaths in the U.S. I think last year. 1.2 million attempts in suicide. But here's here's the rub, right? Men are more likely to commit suicide, almost four times more likely than women. But who's in counseling? Mm-hmm. That's the majority. Yeah. Who's talking about their problems? And then when I say their problems, I'm seeing, you know, trying sure. to make peace with their past. They're trying to, you know, get through some stuff. They're, they're working on themselves. Who's working on themselves? Women. Men hold it in mm-hmm. because it's a stigma. It's a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important. To, to get the, the, the message out there that, you know, it's okay. You know, it's okay to seek help. It's okay to get coached. It's okay to talk to your friends, yes. talk to your boys. Yes. Hey, dude, you know, 
listen, I know we're, we're a couple of good old boys here, mm-hmm. but man, I need to talk to you and, yeah. and not be afraid. Yes. And be, right. Absolutely. And it, initially you were curious and, and you started to study human behavior, but what spurred the interest in your own healing journey? Falling down. You know, I was on the brink of losing my family. I caught myself, you know, screaming and yelling all the time, coming home with a, with a, just a, with a, uh, you know, bad day at work. And the kids would have the TV on too loud and I'd be yelling at them. And then it's just I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, this is what I this is what I said I would never do. And mm-hmm. so stress, stress, anxiety, depression, all that played a role into, you know, trying to uncover all that. And we talked about it in the book, but the actual real, when I really understood and admitted to growing up depressed was I listened to a book by Terry Real. He wrote, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. A tale of men's, men, men's depression. And he wrote it 30 years ago, right? So you talk about a pioneer talking about something that's yeah. even taboo today, 30 years ago. It's like unheard of, right? So I listened to this book on one of my training. You know, I used to, when, I, when I train, I listen to personal development. I listened to this, I listened to this book and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm freaking depressed. And I, and I sought Terry out. And when I went to him, I told him the story and I said, Terry, listen, I listened to your story about you and your dad. And how he abused you, ridiculed you, shamed you, and beat you down. And I said, you know, I was the boy in your story. Your dad was my dad in the story, but I had it way worse than you. He 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 took his glasses off from the intake paperwork, looked at me, and said, "You're screwed, man. You need to get some serious help." And he mm. and so that's how you know at 40, 48 years old, you know, he says you got to go to an intensive, and he recommended a place down in Arizona where I went for eight days and 75 hours. And this is where loving and self-love and compassion and unpacking all that and the trauma stuff came about. You know, I've never, ever been in a better place in my life, happier and just more at peace. No more, no more angst. Like, yeah, we all have bad days. And there are those days where you, where you do want to pull the covers over and you do want to, you do want to stay in that cozy bed. Right. But it's so much better once you once you heal and go through the process. Yes, absolutely. I'm first of all, thank you for having the courage to face your own stuff and share that with others so that they can find the courage to face theirs. Because you are absolutely correct. And I have guy friends who we have talked about the pain that they have gone through and the things that they experienced as a child. And from the outside, you're like, oh, this guy's got it all together. And then when you really hear what they're carrying with them, it's no wonder they feel so heavy. It's no wonder they close themselves off to the world. It's no wonder they are who they are because they had to be tough to survive. And that's where I think we sometimes celebrate what we see as a strength, not really understanding the story and the depth behind why that person is living the way they are, why they are parenting the way they are. And, and where it starts is we need to find out why we're doing that for ourselves. And once we go through that journey of self-discovery, it then takes even more courage to, especially if you're in an abusive relationship, to understand that the love that you may have felt for that person is okay. Right. But 
their role in your life. And even though they were supposed to be a source of love, they were supposed to be a protector, they were supposed to be that, and they weren't, that it's still up to you to choose how you move forward with that. And, and that's a very, you know, that's a interesting tension. It's a, it's a very difficult tension because you want to feel love for this person, but this person has not shown you the right love, that unconditional love, that true purest form of love. And I just wonder, even as you've gone through your own healing journey, what kind of advice would you give to someone who has experienced abuse and they're trying to, in their mind, figure out like, how do I, I don't know if it's separate the love from the reality or what kind of advice would you give someone who is healing from something that's similar to you? The, the number one thing, I think if you're at that point and you're in the process of healing, cause there's a lot of stuff you have to unpack first, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're in the process of healing, this is the most number one thing that, that has helped me be at peace mm -hmm. is forgive, mm -hmm. forgive not only the abuser, but yourself. Mm. You have to forgive yourself and not like so many people. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. But then you're beating yourself up. So genuinely forgive. That may be a whole nother set of processes you have to go through in the therapeutic steps. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you are able to do that and then start to forgive yourself and find that compassion and self-love work on yourself, while forgiving, work on that self-love. And then this is, you know, this is really gonna, gonna take it to another level. But if you're able to send the blessings out there mm. and just be like, I forgive, you know, wish you the best, you know, whatever, if you're able to get that energy and put that in a good place. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, my dad's still around. I still, I still wish him the best and some blessings. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I don't have any ill will. If I carry the ill will, then that keeps, that keeps us stuck. Exactly. So like, if you have a situation where you're working on yourself and you were in an abusive relationship or situation and you're, you're rooting for the worst thing to happen to your perpetrator or whatever, and Guess what? That's just negative energy you're sending out there. And that's also, you're also, your physiology is, is tampered. <laughs> you're, you're really, you're really creating a, a problem of free flowing for yourself and letting that good energy go. And mm. it's important and hard. And I'm not going to dismiss that. There's, a, there's, there's no way to say, Hey, you know what? Hey, for, forgive that person that kicked the, kicked your butt all those years. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. But if you were able to get there, forgive and then and then be able to just be like, you know, what? I wish you the best. And I'm genuine about that. And yes, yes, you will. You will experience some really good things start to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right. That is what your energy is tied to. And it, and even if you think that you are directing it in their direction, it's actually sitting with you, which I appreciate you pointing that out. It's, you know, when it comes to forgiveness and also acceptance, I feel like these are two very hard things that we have to exactly. wrestle with whenever we experience, you know, a hardship in life that is unwarranted. So certainly we can put ourselves in hard situations. Like if we're not responsible and you're like, Oh, how am I broke? Well, you didn't manage your money. Well, right. Okay. There's that, but then there's no, this was pain that was inflicted on me. And so when you're wrestling with forgiveness and acceptance, and all those things I found in my own journey, it's not a one and done process, actually. 
it's something that I had to go back to many times and it came up and I dealt with it and I rolled with it. And it was one of those things that helped me to understand the journey of healing and the journey of growth and all of these different tools and strategies, you know, that we're a part of the same army trying to get out to people. And, and, and we hope that they work for you. We know they'll work for you if you put them to work, but it's also not a quick fix. It's a journey. And it's a journey because it's what's happening in your brain takes time. The rewiring of your brain takes time. The rewiring of your brain impacts your feelings and your beliefs and the way that you show up in life. So of course, it's going to take time for that that new perspective or that healing to then be that dominant thought and that dominant perspective. But one thing that is starting to come up for me is there's a difference between being tough because you have to and you're facing hard stuff and building mental toughness. What is that distinction for you? Being tough and then building mental toughness. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, being tough is, you know, you're in the moment and, and I, I, you know, are you able to, are you able to, to take it or, or power and quit and give in? So like when you have a bad day, let's just talk about this. When you have a, when you have a bad day and you, you find yourself quitting the day because there was a, a disagreement with a colleague at work or you get a bad phone call or, or a deal didn't get put together and you're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not going to handle this. I find that, you know, I'm in sales. I find that our, our mediocre salespeople, they quit the day. Hmm. So I, I think they're lacking toughness. Now to take that a step further, I think we always got to be stretching ourselves and, and, and building that stress muscle of a mental toughness routine. So like, and I, and I, and I go back to health, physical and mental health, mm. you know, are you creating the routines in the morning? Like, are you, are you self care? Do you have the right self care? Uh, do you have a routine where you're, you're meditating, you're breathing, you're, you're working out, you're journaling, you're maybe you're nurturing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 And then, so when you do these things and you set yourself up for the day, when stuff comes at you, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to breathe. I'm good. I'm in a good place. Started my day off, right? I got my great workout in. I, I journaled some great thoughts. I gave my, you know, got some great blessings and good things happening. I'm let's, let's handle this. Let's huddle up everybody. Let's figure this out. Where if you, Hey, I, I just had a bender last night. You know, I had three glasses of wine. I, I, I binge watched game of Thrones. I got to bed late. I'm on three hours sleep. You know, the kids missed the bus and, mm. and, you know, life is going crazy. I'm late for work. And then all this stuff happens. Well, guess what? You're way more likely to quit that day. Mm. So part of building that toughness is, is part of self-care, right? Yeah. And if you're, if you're able to take care of yourself mm -hmm. and then you're able to handle things a lot better. Now let's face it. You know, when, you know, I call, I call this junk miles in, in working out, like you know, I'm training when I'm training for an Ironman, for example, right? And if I'm just if I'm in the pool in my in my swim and I'm just coasting and swimming, not thinking anything, I'm doing my doing my drills and just getting my swims in. There's a big difference if I have to do sprints and and band work and and just you know hard stuff that's going to gas me where I want to jump out of the pool because I'm like this is crazy. But I'm building I'm building that stress muscle. I'm building that that mental toughness to keep going. But if I'm coasting then it's much harder to deal with the, the adversity mm. that comes out, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you can kind of build that mental toughness aspect in your life with mm -hmm. your routines and, and how you tackle anything. I mean, just like, are you going to, are you going to see any progress if you're, 
if you're not getting your heart rate up at the gym, if you're just, if you're, if you're sitting on the bike, reading your, your texts on your phone and just, you know, kind of scrolling casually going through, talking, whatever, scrolling, yeah. whatever right? you're just casually talking, you're taking five minutes in between reps and sets. And then, then you leave there for an hour. You barely felt like you did anything, or you're just going at it hard. You're like, you're supersetting things and you're sprinting and you're doing things like that. You're going to, you're going to build that resilience. You're going to build you're going to build your cardiovascular. You're going to build your, your muscles. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to be in a much fitter, better mental, physical place than you were if you just coasted and, you know, did the, put in the junk miles. Mm-hmm. That's how you can build it. Absolutely. I remember feeling so encouraged when I realized, cause I felt like I was just getting weary and I was like, Oh, I'm going to run out of resilience. I'm going to run. I don't have any mental toughness, you know, left in me because I just was not doing the things to fuel myself. And I was like, are we, I remember asking myself this question, like, are we born with a certain amount of resilience? And then like, once we tap out, like we're just, you know, we hit burnout or, or we hit depression or what have you. And to learn that we are able to build it in with these types of simple exercises, right? With these different practices that you pull into your life, it does create the healthy stress where I think that attitude of like, oh, I'm tough is more so of like, I can push through. But if you're not pushing through because you have a reserve in you, then you're not really flexing that, that mental strength that I think, and I know is something that we all should be building, like literally on a daily basis. Yeah. I used to think that you know, pushing through was, was like, Hey, you know what? I got three or four hours sleep. I'm going to push through. I got this. I got, I'm going to go for that long run anyway. And I'm going to push through and I'm going to push through. And you know what, you know what happens is you start getting injured or you start, you start breaking down mentally and physically. So that's why yes, push through when you have to, you know, fight, fight or flight, when you absolutely have to fight, push through it. That's, that's one thing. But the, but if you can consistently take care of yourself, like I, I never used to, I used to say up until a few years ago, sleep's overrated. I'll just, I'll work out more and sleep less. So as long as I get my workouts in now, like I know that is so important to rejuvenate and, and keep that inflammation down throughout the bodies. So now there's a lot of self-care, there's a lot of supplements. There's a lot of the meditations, the, the cold plunges, the, the sauna work, the, the, you know, the massages, like the self-care stuff for the, those activities are so important when I never used to do it. Yes. Yes. There's no more pushing through all the time because mm-hmm. you won't break down. You ha- you can have that when you need it, mm-hmm. but if you practice the routines of taking care of yourself for the most part, you'll be in a much better place. Absolutely. If you're proactive with it. Now we've talked a little bit here in these last couple of minutes about the physical side of it, but I know that there are mental exercises. There are mental exercises that I teach as well. And I was excited to see that you include several mental exercises in your book. What is one that you continue to practice and you've seen has made the most significant impact on your life? Breath work, Mm -hmm. breathing, meditation, 100%. The breath work helps with the anxiety. I, I practice a lot of Wim Hof. Do you know Wim Hof? No. The Iceman. The Iceman, Wim Hof. He he builds up the immune system by just exposing himself to cold. Oh, the cold plunges. The cold plunges, but like he swam under ice. He I think he marathoned across Antarctica in a in a t-shirt and, and shorts. Like this guy's crazy, right? Wim Hof. But his breathing methods is it's creating it's for the parasympathetic sympathetic nerve, nervous system. And he's creating heat when you breathe in through you know, real quick. And so, you know, that's, that's one exercise that I'll do in the morning or mm-hmm. like box breathing is very simple yes. breath work. You know, it's a count of four on 
on four different holds, mm -hmm. breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four, and then repeat. So that's an easy one. And then the other thing I started practicing, and this is kind of new because it's really hard, is when you get the belly breath and you breathe into the belly, then your lungs expand, and then you're able to get that breath work. Man, does that help with your immunity? Does that help with your stress? Does that help mm. with your cardiovascular? Like, I feel like my cardio, like I'm able to do a lot more with my endurance stuff mm -hmm. with, because of the breath work that I do, like the swimming and the, I'm into martial arts. Like, you know, when, when, when people tense up, they lose their energy because they just lose all their oxygen. So when you have breath work and you're able to loosen up and, and yeah. practice that, you're able to keep way more energy. So that's important. Yes. It's so good. I started to teach my son when he was about nine. I started to teach him about breathing more so of how it was when he was falling asleep and I would teach him just focus on your breath on the tip of your nose. And then I would start to introduce, you know, other things to him. But when we watched Chris Hemsworth limitless, yeah. which was a phenomenal series. Yeah. Okay. So now this wasn't information coming from mom, right? <laughs> it's yeah. coming from Thor. So he's very excited. Yeah. to learn. Yeah. Uh, but, but I absolutely listener, you should check that out. If you're interested, especially in breath work, he used it in the very beginning they talked about, and I love how they brought the science in. How does that calm your nervous system? Then because he had that as a foundational practice, he was able to take it into these other stressful scenarios. And one of them was doing a cold swim. And I'm, I'm just watching this. And I'm so grateful that we live in a time where we're sharing these tools, where we are able to build our own toolkit because, hey, listen, not everything is going to work for you, you know, when we're talking about this, but there are some things that will work because they are tied to our biology. Like, like we can start to do things to our mind and our brain just on simple practices like breathing and meditating. And again, I feel very fortunate to live during a time where science is showing us the significant impact that these basic practices can make on our brain and our overall health and well-being. Absolutely. It's the evolution of the biohacking. It's pretty, pretty, pretty new. And, you know, I, I do a lot of cold plunging too, but I don't get sick. Bill, me too. I just asked a guest who was on. I said, we were talking about this. And I said, wait, I haven't gotten sick in so long, in years. After Richard died up until when I got COVID, I hadn't been sick for eight years. And wow. I was like, and I think it's because of the stuff that I'm doing, but I, I don't know. I can't exactly prove it. And she rattled off Dr. Anna. She rattled off. She's like, this is what it is. So yes, Bill, tell, tell us more. Tell me about your experience. Well, so I, I was, I had injured a couple of years ago. I was actually running for the Boston marathon and walking down my stairs, I blew out my quad mm. and like blew it out where I thought I broke the bone. And it was actually my quad rolled up to my hip. And oh. like, it was, it was the most excruciating pain. And so I was like, I need to heal fast and I need to, I need to figure this out. So I like checked into all the biohacking, right? Mm -hmm. Infrared sauna, red light therapy, uh, grounding, earthing. Um, I, I know you, I, one of the episodes I heard you talk about, you love to walk or nature on bare, bare feet. Yeah. Like that, that will reset your circadian rhythm. You want, if you have jet lag, go to a beach and walk around barefoot and you'll get, you'll get energy again. Like that's really, that's a proven fact, but like these biohacks and a lot of these biohacks are, 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 are free, like intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. the, the journaling. I mean, gratitude, mm -hmm. gratitude, practice, uh, oh. anything that can, the breath work, anything that can help decrease inflammation. Mm -hmm can help your immune system, but also help, help your healing. So I started practicing all these things and, and I, I blew up my, my leg, um, in, in 2000, 
in 21, two years ago, um, or a year and a half ago. So I was 50, right? And I actually ended up doing that, that Boston marathon on crutches for make a wish. Mm-hmm. And 60 days later after surgery. And when I went back to my doctor, to, I had to sign a, a letter saying I could do it. <laughs> and he's like, I can't sign this. And I said, doc, I can, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know what? I've never seen anybody, whether they were in their teens or their twenties mm-hmm. heal as fast as you did from this horrific injury a quad tear, like legit pull quad tear, like ruptured tear, mm-hmm. like you did. And I said, I said, I just, I biohacked the heck out of it. Yeah. I visualized my healing mm-hmm. and just keep doing what you're doing because I've never seen anything like this. Oh. And I didn't expect to, I didn't expect to hear that, but I just did it for myself because I wanted to, I, I was sick of being in, on those crutches, you know, mm-hmm. around. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's, so the inflammation you want to, you want to decrease and that will help with your immune system and that will help you. And then, you know, eliminate your stress mm-hmm. and that can help not being sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're saying you do this, you do the work and what you put in your body, like food wise, like organic, 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 mm-hmm. organic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You eat meats, you know, make sure you get the, the, um, and I, I heard another one in your podcast, you talked about that. And if you're going to eat meat, you know, Get the no antibiotics, the free range, mm-hmm. the the organic stuff there. I mean, the stuff that we that, that is put in some of these animals that we're putting in our bodies for years and years and years. I mean, it's causing so many things. And this is relatively new for me, but I, but I have a feeling it has a lot to do with my healing and you know my immune. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I have a funny story about that, and then I have a question about visualization since you sure. mentioned that. Um, but my one of my best friends, uh, she retired from her corporate job. She had been working there since she's like 16. So she could retire at 36. But when she left, she started this quest and she was at the very beginning of changing her diet. And she'd always been an athlete, but there were just very specific things that she started to do to heal her body. She also, because now she wasn't working in, uh, you know, corporate America anymore, wasn't in front of the computer or in the screen as much. So all of the, and then she started, she moved by the beach. She goes and does her cold, all of these things she started doing. She would go on hikes. I mean, she was just, I mean, talk about, I am trying to get an aspire to that, (laughs) but it was about a year later, she was going to the optometrist because her contacts were not working anymore. So she's like, oh man, my eyesight, you know, I must have to get a new prescription. She goes to see the doc. He runs all these different tests and he starts, she said to me, she's like, he literally started scratching his head as he's looking at these numbers. And he said, have you changed anything like in your diet or, and she had done that too, diet, all these different exercises, right? Biohacks, I love how you say that. And uh, she said, well, yeah. And she kind of told him, he said, all of these things improved your eyesight. Your eyesight didn't get worse. She didn't need to change her prescription because she needed to strengthen it. They, it was the reverse was happening. Wow. That's great. Love that. Like, that. If that's not inspiration for someone to be more mindful about these different habits that have become the norm in our lifestyle and maybe reversing them because our body is saying that's not good for me. I, I don't know what other inspiration you need. <laughs> All right. Well, how about, does it work for readers too? Cause it's not yes, working. Yes. my bar hacking is not working for my readers right now. Cause my, re- my readers are getting annoying. <laughs> Stick with it. Take less call or take less meetings from zoom and more um, as a phone call. And I'm sure that will help as well. <laughs> I mean, I had LASIK years ago is the greatest thing, but the readers, the, the, the reading is going bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Well, let me know in a year if that if that changes. But right, uh, you mentioned visualization. This yeah. is a huge. This is a huge practice of mine. But this, I didn't realize how significant it was when I started to do this. Mm -hmm. And when I initially started doing it, it was because falling asleep was very very hard for me. That time of day was just really hard, and you know it was quiet. My son would be in bed, and my mind is racing on all of the terrible things. So I started to tell myself a dream before I fell asleep. I would take myself somewhere and mm -hmm. I would, you know, either be on the beach or I would be with a family member, or I would just be very specific. And I would start to dream in vivid detail about what was going on. And it started to affect how I was feeling. And then I could fall asleep. 10 years later, I still do this every single night, every single night. But then I expanded it from, uh, you know, falling asleep and just making sure that my mind could calm down and I could get to a good space. And I started to do it in other areas. I started to do this right before a TED talk. I would visualize, I pulled up a picture of the auditorium we were going to be in and I prepare with visualization. I also goal set with visualization. Again, I fall asleep with visualization, it's very much a part of my life. I teach my son how to expect a defender when he's shooting through visualization. <laughs> we talk about this a lot. What role has visualization played in, in your healing and your growth journey? Wow. I, I think it's, it's so, it's such an integral part. I mean, when I first realized visualization, so we talk about adversity, right? So this was in 2003. This is the first time I realized visualization worked. Mm. I had had some nice success in the mortgage business, real estate mortgage business, really nice success, you know, for a few years. And I was, I was building my dream home. Now, now we're entering super busy time before the crash, right? Mm -hmm. 2003. And so now I'm ready to build my dream home and the bill, all the builders get busy because they're, they're just in, they're such in demand. And so now the cost tripled within a few months of meeting my first meeting with the builder. So my deal was following through my dream home. We had the architect plans. We had the the dream home that I envisioned on on uh, on paper, drawn out in a blueprint. Mm -hmm. And I was so down about it that this was not meant to be. This is too bad. But I still, what I ended up doing was I still kept looking at that picture every single day, mm -hmm. and just saying, you know what? Somehow, some way, this is going to happen. And true story. I'm in at the grocery store, I'm shopping, I'm, I'm leaving the grocery store. And what I see was on the magazine rack, it was free and it said homes. And on that front cover was the town, the next town over from where I live, the picture of this house, which was basically almost identical to the house that we were building. Oh. And it was for sale. And it was, it was, it was the, the feature home. And it was, it was brand new, brand new, newly constructed. And the, 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 they built it with living there, finishing it and then selling it. So I said, I called my agent and I was like, you to get me this house. Can you get me to see this house? I saw this house and it was almost identical to the same exact uh, blueprint that, that we saw and ended up buying, ended up buying that house, lived there for 16 years, raised my kids there. And so now whenever I have a goal, you know, there was, it's just a fun, it was a fun stuff. Whenever I have a goal, right. I, I'll always put that. I'll make it a computer screensaver. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I mean, kind of, kind of more of a, just a, a, a selfish kind of goal, but there was uh, you know, our company years ago were giving away Rolexes if you were a top producer, right. And I was getting top producer 
I missed the year they started giving away a Rolex by one, by one unit. Right. And so I was like, Oh man. So I put, I, I took the Rolex, the one I was going to get, and I put it on my computer for the year. It was my screensaver. And the next year I, I was top producer and got that Rolex. And so like, I mean, whatever it is, if it's, if it's a car, if it's a it's home, whatever. Like, yes. something small, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It was just that that was my own silly way of doing it. But this stuff really works because yeah. by envisioning it, you're, you're also creating opportunities for it to come to you. However, that's that it. That's, it's not always through the one way, which I love that you said about the house. Yes, you had a vision for the house, but if that one way wasn't happening, your mind is now expanded for the many ways that that thing can come to you. Right. If I, so let, you, let's take this a step further where you just went. If I didn't have those blueprints and I didn't study those blueprints, I would have never saw that cover. You wouldn't have even noticed it. I never picked up a home, even though I was in real estate, I never picked up a home magazine. I just never <laughs> didn't. But I had to see, I happened to see that because of the particular activating system yes. made me look at that because I've been looking at that similar house for, for all these months, every single day. Yes. 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 It's like the red car. You want the red, you know, convertible Corvette, Mercedes, whatever. And you finally get it. And then you're like, where are all these red cars? I've seen them oh, everywhere. Where they come from? I they, they all bought the same time I did. No, they were always there. You just never saw them. But now, now you see them because because you have it. So yes, it's creative. It's powerful. I think it's one of the most underutilized skills that, as humans, we don't tap into enough. We don't. And ever since I started, for me, it started with, I want to be a happy, healthy, whole mom again. Um, and I just kept telling myself that, and I would envision myself and my son and, and it got me out of feeling sorry for myself to be a single parent and feeling like I'm a super parent. Okay. Like it's just, it even yeah. changed the way that I engaged with my circumstances. And I started to, again, when I started to do this early on, I could feel the difference. But then when those things actually started coming into my life, I was like, oh, wow, this, this is a superpower that everyone needs to know about. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know if you've evolved this way, but I, but I have. And if you have, let me know. So what I started to do now that stuff is working, right? So when I do breath work and visualization, mm -hmm. incorporate your five senses. You really want to add power to yes. this exercise. Do you do that? Yes. What do you see? What do yeah. you feel? What do you taste? Who's around you? You know, what do you, what is what is your environment like? Incorporate those five senses, and that that just adds so much more power to that visualization and making it more real. And your subconscious isn't going to know if it's really happening or not happening. Exactly, so you might as well go with it happening, and yep. it'll, it'll, it'll manifest. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh! I thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Listen. Friends, you may see clips of us, but, and you're going to, you're going to hear this story and then you're going to look up Bill and then you're going to look up more about my story. And you're going to see that we came from completely different walks of life, that we are so unique in, in very, in so many ways, in various ways. Yet what connects us is the same thing that we are trying to share here with you and tell you that it can work with you. It is the way that you show up in life. It's the way that you respond to life. It is your mindset. No matter how different people can be, the way that we tap into our mind is the key. If you want to live a deeply meaningful life, if you want to heal, if you want to grow, if you want to achieve certain goals, whatever your why is behind that, please know that what has worked for Bill and I can work for you too. Bill, thank you so much for being here with us. How can people find you? Where can they connect with you if they want to learn more? 
Yeah, uh, you can go to thrivinginthestorm.com. That's that's our website, and you can reach reach me there. And there's a lot of bonus materials, and, and some of this gratitude and the journaling uh, workbooks are on there, and some bonus material from the book that we share on there for free resources. And love to connect. Reach out. Great. Well, thank you again for being here, and thank you for choosing to share your story. It is going to help so many. I hope so. And thank you for having me. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.